Chapter Two of An Unwilling Guest by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Two Contrasts. They stopped at a side door, which opened on a vine clad piazza. The house was white, with green blinds, and plenty of vines in autumn tinting clinging to it here and there, as if they loved it. A sweet-faced woman opened the door as they stopped at the steps and came out to meet them. She had eyes like Allison's and a firm, sweet chin that suggested strength and self-control. Apparently, she had none of Allison's preconceived idea of their guest, for she came forward with a gentle welcome in her face and voice. "'So you found her all right, Allison, dear,' she said as she waited for the stranger to step from the carriage and Evelyn noticed that she placed her arm around her daughter and put an unobtrusive kiss on the pink cheek. "'This is mother,' Allison said, all the sharpness gone out of her voice. That Mrs. Gray should fold her in her arms and place a kiss, tender and loving, upon her cheek was an utter astonishment to Evelyn Rutherford. She was not used to being kissed. Her own mother had long been gone from her, and the women in whose charge she had been had not felt inclined to kiss her. In fact, she disliked any show of affection, especially between two women, and would have been disposed to resent this kiss had it been given by one less sweet and sincere. But one could not resent Mrs. Gray, even if that one were Evelyn Rutherford. "'My dear, I am so sorry for you,' was what she said next. It must be very hard for your journey to end among strangers after all. But you need not be anxious about your dear aunt. She is so strong and well, and has often nursed contagious diseases without contracting anything. Allison, as she went down the steps to take the pony to his stable, could not help waiting just the least little bit to hear what this strange girl would say but all the satisfaction she had was a glimpse of her face filled with utter astonishment. She felt in her heart that the least of Miss Rutherford's concerns was about her aunt. She wondered if her mother could not tell that by just a glance, or if she simply chose to ignore it in her sweet, persistent way. There were often times when Alison Gray wondered thus about her mother, and often had she suspected that behind the sweet, innocent smile, which acknowledged only what she chose to see, there was a deeper insight into the character before her than even her shrewd daughter possessed. Allison puzzled over it now as she drove to the stable, flecking the pony's back with the end of the whip that was almost never used for its legitimate purpose. In the house, Miss Rutherford was carried from one astonishment to another. The gentle, well-bred welcome she could not repulse. It took her at a disadvantage. She was ill at ease. She followed Mrs. Gray silently to her room. Something kept her from the condescending thanks that she had been about to speak, thanks which would have put her in no way under obligation to these new and, as she chose to consider, rather commonplace strangers. Why she had not uttered the cold, haughty words she did not know, but she had not. The room into which she was ushered was not unattractive even to her city-bred eyes. To be sure, the furnishings were inexpensive, that she saw at a glance, but she could not help feeling the air of daintiness and comfort everywhere. 
the materials used were nothing but rose-colored cambric and sheer white muslin but the effect was lovely there was a little fire in an open grate and a low old-fashioned chair drawn up invitingly the day was just a trifle chilly for october but the windows were still wide open now dear said mrs gray throwing the door open i hope you will be perfectly comfortable here my room is just across the hall and allison sleeps next to you so you need not be lonely in the night left to herself miss rutherford took off her hat and looked about her the room was pretty enough the low wide window seat in the bay window covered with rosebud chintz and provided with plenty of luxurious pillows was quite charming but then it had a homemade look after all and the girl scorned homemade things she had not been brought up to love and reverence the home her world was society and how society would laugh over an effect achieved in cheap cottons with such evident lack of professional decorators nevertheless she looked about with curiosity and a growing satisfaction since she must be thus cast upon a desert island she was glad that it was no worse and she shuddered over the thought of the possibilities in that boarding-house she had passed however she was not a young woman given to much thanksgiving and generally spent her time bewailing what she did not have rather than in being glad over what she had escaped presently the lack of a maid who was to her a necessary institution began to make itself felt her aunt had servants she knew for they had been mentioned occasionally in the long letters she wrote at stated intervals to them her father had most emphatically declared against taking a maid with her from new york this had been one of her greatest grievances her father said that her aunt had all the servants that would be necessary to wait upon her and it was high time she learned to do things for herself all her tears and protestations had not availed but in this house there had been no word of a maid mrs gray had told her to let her know if there was anything she needed but had not suggested sending a servant of course they must have servants she would investigate she looked about her for signs of a bell but no bell appeared she opened the door and listened there was the distant tinkle of china and silver as of some one setting a table there came a tempting whiff of something savory through the hall and distant voices talking low and pleasantly but there seemed to be no servant anywhere in sight or sound across the hall mrs gray's wide old-fashioned room seemed to smile peacefully at her and speak of a life she did not understand and into which she had never had a glimpse before it annoyed her now she did not care for it it seemed to demand a depth of earnestness beneath living that was uncomfortable she knew not why she went in and slammed her door again and sat down on the bay window seat looking out discontentedly across the lawn presently a wagon drove into the yard carrying her two large trunks she heard voices about the door and then the heavy tread of a man bearing a burden she waited thinking how she could get hold of a servant Allison's light tap on the door soon followed, and behind her was the man with the trunk on his shoulder. "'Well, I can tell you that there trunk ain't filled with feathers,' ejaculated the man as he put down the trunk with a thump and looked shrewdly at its owner. 
"'You ought to bring someone to help you, Mr. Carter,' said Allison's fresh, clear voice, with just a tinge of indignation in it, as she looked toward the stranger. "'That was entirely too much of a lift for you.' Miss Rutherford curled her lips and turned toward the window till the colloquy should be concluded. "'And now,' said Mr. Carter, puffing and blowing from the weight of the second trunk, which was even worse than the first. "'I suppose you want them there things unstropped. You don't look like you was much more fit to do it yourself than one of those here grasshoppers or a good-sized butterfly.' "'Sir,' said Miss Rutherford, in freezing astonishment. "'I said as how you wasn't built for unstroppin' trunks,' remarked the amiable Carter, with his foot against the top of the trunk and his cheeks puffed out in the effort to unfasten a refractory buckle. "'Your remarks are entirely unnecessary,' said the haughty young woman, straightening herself to her full height and looking disagreeable in the extreme. The buckle gave way, and Carter, taking his old hat from the floor where it had fallen, looked at her slowly and carefully from head to foot, his face growing redder than when he had first put down the trunk. "'No harm meant, I'm sure, miss,' he said in deep embarrassment as he shuffled away, mumbling something under his breath as he went downstairs. "'The idea,' said the young woman to herself, "'what impudence! He ought not to be employed by decent people.' Then she heard Allison's step in the hall and remembered her wants. "'Will you please let your maid bring me some hot water?' she said with a sweet imperiousness she knew how to assume on occasion. "'I will attend to it at once,' answered Allison in a cold tone, and it became evident to the guest that her sympathies were all with Mr. Carter. It made her indignant, and she retired to her room to await the hot water. She stood before the mantel, idly studying a few photographs. One, the face of a young man, scarcely more than a boy, attracted her with an oddly familiar glance. Where had she seen someone who had that same peculiarly direct gaze, that awakened a faint stir of undefined pleasant memories? She turned from the picture without having discovered, to answer the tap on the door with a come that was meant as a pleasant preface to her request that the entering maid would assist her a little and met Allison with the hot water. "'Oh, how kind to bring it yourself,' said the guest a trifle less stiffly than before. "'Would you mind lending me your maid for a few minutes? Can you spare her? I won't keep her very long.' The color crept into Allison's cheeks as she answered steadily. "'I am very sorry to say that we are without any just now, so I cannot possibly send her to you.' but I shall be glad to help you in any way I can, as soon as mother can spare me. Oh, indeed, said the guest, with one of her stares. Don't trouble yourself. I shall doubtless get along in some way. And she turned her back upon Allison and looked haughtily out of the window. Allison reflected a moment and said in a pleasanter tone, If there is any lifting to be done, or your trunks are not right, father will help you when he comes in for supper and I'm sure mother would want me to help you in any way I can, if you will just tell me what to do. Would you like me to help you unpack? Oh, no, thank you, said the guest, with her face still toward the window. I can do very well myself. Allison hesitated and then turned to go. As she was half out of the door, she said helplessly, We have supper in half an hour. 
If you want me, just call. I can easily hear you. Miss Rutherford made no answer. After the door had closed, she began elaborate preparations for a dinner toilet. She belonged to a part of the world that considers it a crime to appear at dinner in anything but evening attire. In her life atmosphere it was thought to be a part of the unwritten code of culture which must be adhered to in spite of circumstances, as one would wear clothes even if thrown among naked savages. In her eyes Hillcroft was somewhat of a cannibal island, but it never occurred to her that it would be proper for her to do as the savages did. Therefore she dressed for dinner. It was decidedly over an hour from that time before the guest descended. Mr. Gray had waited as patiently as possible, though he had pressing engagements for the evening. The bell rang twice, loud and clear, and Allison tapped at her door once, and asked politely if she could be of any assistance as supper was ready. But in spite of all this, the guest came into the dining-room as coolly as if she had not been keeping every one waiting for at least three-quarters of an hour, and spoiling most effectually the roasted potatoes which had been in their perfection when the bell rang. Mrs. Gray had been as much annoyed by the delay as she ever allowed herself to be over anything, for she did like to have potatoes roasted to just the right turn, and prided herself upon knowing the instant to take them from the oven and crack their brown coats till the steam burst forth and showed the snowy whiteness of the dry, delicious filling. But potatoes and engagements alike were forgotten when Miss Rutherford burst upon them in her glory. She had chosen a costume which in her estimation was plain, but which by its very unexpectedness was somewhat startling. It was only a black net, with spangles of jet in delicate traceries and intricate patterns here and there, but the dazzling whiteness of the beautiful neck and arms in contrast made it very effective. She certainly was a beautiful girl, and she saw their acknowledgment of this fact in their eyes as she entered the room. But she could not know of the shock which the bare white shoulders and beautifully molded arms gave to the whole family. Hillcroft was not a place where décolleté dressing was considered just quite the thing among the older well-established families. It was felt to be a little fast by the best people and it happened that Allison had never, in the whole of her quiet, sheltered life, sat down to a table or even moved about familiarly in the same room with a woman who considered it quite respectable to use so little material in the waist of her dress. It shocked her indescribably. She could scarcely understand herself why it should have such an effect upon her. She was a girl who had read widely and in the world of literature she had moved much in the society of women who dressed in this way, and so far as one can be, through books, she was used to society's ways. But she had moved through that airy world of the mind, without even noticing this feature of the fashions, except to disapprove of them, because her parents did. Now she looked for the first time upon a beautiful woman standing unblushing before her father in a costume that his own daughter would have thought immodest to wear in his presence. After the first startled look, Allison turned away her face. It was a beautiful vision, but one that she felt ought not to be looked upon. It seemed that the girl before her must be shielded in some way, and the only way she could do it was by averting her gaze. If Allison had been a frequenter of the theatre, she would not have felt in this way. 
but hillcroft was not a place where many artists penetrated and if it had been mr gray disapproved of the theatre and so did his wife the feeling which allison had about the white neck and arms extended in a less degree to her mother and father there was a tinge of embarrassment in their greeting as they sat down to the evening meal which they could hardly have explained it was not so much embarrassment for themselves as for their guest for they felt that she must inevitably discover how out of place she was in such surroundings and then what could she feel but confusion they forgot that her home surroundings had not been theirs End of chapter 2